You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Vol Basketball Fever. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined again by Gene Henley. Glad to have you back again, Gene. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the show, whether you're watching it on YouTube or listening to it on the podcast. Thank you all so much. If you're on YouTube, give this video a like and share it around. Would very much appreciate that. And go ahead and subscribe to the channel as well. Uh, I know it's football time in Tennessee right now. Or as we're recording this, Gene, it's three weeks away until the Vols kick off their 2022 season. But basketball's fairly close now. We're under 90 days. We're under three months away from the start of the men's basketball season and for the Lady Vols too, their start of their season. So it's probably closer than a lot of people expect it to be. Uh, Under three months away now, season tips off in early November for both squads. November 7th for the men's and I think November 8th for the Lady Vols, uh, the regular season does, because I think Lady Vols have an exhibition on October 30th or 31st. So I mean, I assume the men probably will too, that this wasn't on their schedule. We'll get to some of the schedule talk in a second, because it'll kind of fit into the overall theme of this episode, which is expectations. Gene, I mentioned at the end of the last episode that I wanted to wait and hold off and have another episode dedicated to this topic, because I thought we were already at that point. We'd recorded like almost, I think an hour and a half at that point, almost. I thought, you know, this would be better just to save it for a, a different episode. But I had the thought, that and I've had this thought before, but it really kind of crystallized. You know, when you and I were talking near the end of the podcast, I don't remember why, but it popped in my head about expectations for Tennessee men's basketball program. I think it had to do with the fact we we're talking about recruiting and stuff and recruiting expectations and stuff. But it, I got to thinking, I thought about this before too that there's a different, there's an interesting generational divide, I think, between what the expectations are for Tennessee men's basketball program. You know, depending on when you really first got into the program, if you were a Vol fan back in the you know seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, watching Ray Mears, watching Don DeVoe, or if you were in the nineties and early two thousands, I mean, you were probably didn't care a, a ton about Tennessee men's basketball at that time because you had uh, the likes of Wade Houston and Kevin O'Neill, and then Jerry Green, and then Buzz Peterson as Tennessee men's basketball head coaches who most of those guys didn't have any success. Jerry Green had some success, but then he was only at Tennessee for four years and was not a very good cultural fit with the Vols either and, and rubbed a lot of people the wrong way with his attitude and, and different things that he did. Uh, again, won a lot of games. It was 89 and 36, and he got to the NCAA tournament every year he was there and got to a Sweet 16. But aside from that, you had, again, Kevin O'Neill, Wade Houston, who is, I think arguably has the worst record of any Tennessee head uh, head basketball coach at least from a win percentage-wise, of a guy who's, who had been there for more than, you know, three years or so. And then again, uh, Buzz Peterson, who was hired because he roomed with Michael Jordan, and basically. I mean, he did some other things at smaller schools, but uh, was not a good hire for Tennessee. But then, if you so if you were in those era, I think your expectations for Tennessee basketball are different. If you're an older, older fan, like I said, one who kind of grew up watching Tennessee basketball in the 60s, 70s, you know, maybe someone like my my dad who um, was born in 63, which was Ray Mears' first year, he knew about 
Tennessee basketball in the time, you know, around the time where you had um, the Ernie and Bernie show. Dad talks about, you know, remembering watching the Ernie and Bernie show with Tennessee back in the 70s. And then, of course, you had, you know, went from Ray Mears into Don DeVoe, who still had a, a successful career at Tennessee as a head coach. Your expectations even then, though, the NCAA tournament was just different back then, for one. Uh, it didn't really become what it is now until the expansion to, 80, to uh, 64 teams in 1985. Before that, it wasn't even... I've heard a lot of people who are older fans say that it didn't even... It wasn't as nearly as big of a deal as it is now. In fact, the NIT was considered a bigger deal than the NCAA tournament was for in the early days of college basketball, especially like in the 40s and 50s and, and even earlier than that, I think, too. But I think those fans have a different in most in most cases. Again, I'm, I'm generalizing a little bit here. I think those fans have a, a different expectation uh, for the men's basketball program at Tennessee than the people closer to my age who really got into Tennessee basketball because of the Bruce Pearl era. And I'm, I'm kind of a little bit before that, uh, Gene. I, my first game was actually the Tennessee game that they upset Syracuse in the early 2000s uh, with, I think, Ron Slay got hurt in that game, maybe. He was other. He was already hurt or he got hurt in that game. But Yarbrough was on the team. Hayslip was on the team. Like I remember those guys, and that was my first game I ever went to uh, for Tennessee men's basketball. So I, I watched, I, like I started watching during the Buzz Peterson era, basically, is kind of when I started watching and, and, you know, keeping up with Tennessee basketball. But I got definitely get you know, excited and rejuvenated, or I guess amped up more about Bruce Pearl uh, when he was hired and about Tennessee pro basketball because of Bruce Pearl. And I think, you know, younger me, my expectations are probably higher, but I think as I've gotten older and kind of learned more of the history of where Tennessee basketball, men's basketball has been in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of changed my expectations overall. But I, I still think that Bruce Pearl era definitely heightened it. And I think it's fair because that took Tennessee to new heights. And it, it wasn't, it, it's been shown that it, it wasn't just a flash in the pan of right, you know, right place, right time until it all came crashing down because Rick Barnes has had success. He, he's taken Tennessee to multiple NCAA tournaments, got to the Sweet 16, uh, won a, a share of an SEC regular season title, won an SEC tournament title. Heck, even Conzo Martin got Tennessee to a Sweet 16 in one of the three years that he was at Tennessee. Um, but you might, I, going all in all this is I think people who are kind of millennials, my age, kind of, you know, just in that, I guess, late 20s, early 30s, maybe even younger than that, especially younger than that, I think, like the kids who are in college right now even, I think have a much different viewpoint on what they, you know, their expectations for Tennessee basketball because they've been more accustomed. Like they, they grew up watching Tennessee consistently get to the NCAA tournament. And, and for them, and a lot of fans, like again, around my age, it's it was probably, it's, Less when Tennessee missed the NCAA tournament the first couple of years of Conzo Martin, Diane Tindall, and the first couple of years under Rick Barnes, those were almost that was I guess anomalies maybe compared to what you you got used to seeing with Bruce Pearl and then now what you've also gotten used to seeing with Rick Barnes. So I I think that the expectation conversation is interesting to me because you could almost you could almost tell the kind of age range of a person depending on what they're expectations are for the men's basketball program because I I, I think Gene for me but well I guess before I share mine I'm, I'm curious your thoughts because you're you're I'm, I'm coming at this obviously as more of a fan as a kid who grew up in Knoxville um, went to games obviously attended the University of Tennessee went to a lot of games as a as a student at Tennessee 
uh, covered Tennessee basketball for, you know, years and at the, as, you know, as a media member, and you, obviously you did too, but you know, you didn't come, you're not coming from it as a person who grew up in Knoxville and as a Tennessee fan. So I, I'm kind of curious your thoughts as a, a little, as an outsider and also obviously a little bit older than me, someone who grew up with watching a different era of Tennessee basketball than I did. So before I kind of share mine, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on kind of what, you know, what are your expectations of Tennessee basketball? You know, what, what are you thinking should be fair expectations kind of year in and year out uh, for the program? And, and maybe even on a, on a national perspective, how do you think Tennessee is viewed nationally um, in college basketball? Um, so I don't think, I don't think even where Tennessee is now that the perception is what I would say Tennessee fans want it to be. Like, I think that they're, I think that they believe that this is like a top five slash 10 program in the country, just based off the fact that their coach is paid that way. And that's not actually true. Um, I think you could make it, you could make a case for, other leagues, other blue—I mean, for for blue but you know, blue bloods. I mean, who has a better program, Tennessee or Gonzaga? Um, I mean, I think the answer is pretty overwhelming with Gonzaga. Um, and I mean, let's save the arguments of, well, what would they do in the SEC? I mean, I, I get that, but fact of the matter is, you can throw. Like what program is better, Tennessee or Michigan State? What program is better, Tennessee or Michigan? I'm not counting last season. I'm talking like the last 15 years. Um, I'm just kind of spitballing just teams that just pop up in my mind. Um, and I, I say that to say that I, I think that Tennessee is a really good program. But where is it in the hierarchy? Um, they've had they've had two good teams that really got onto the national spotlight. And that's, those are, that's two teams over the past, like 12 years. You want to go 15? Uh, I'd say there were probably three teams. There was that team that beat Memphis, become number one in the country. I guess that was what, 06, 07. I think that team lost to Ohio State in the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall where that team that lost to Michigan State in the Elite Eight, I don't recall that team necessarily being considered a national championship contender. And at the end of the day, I'm looking at this from not where your season ended. Like, look, Tennessee got beat in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year, and I think they were – I still think that they were one of the top five people. I do. Like, that tournament can't be – the overall determinant of what your program is. Like you were the best team in one of the top two or three leagues in the country. I mean, I think I mean, the ACC got a bad rap last year. They showed it in March. Um, the SEC was really good and the Big Ten was really good. And, and so what I'm looking at and what I'm seeing is since he was the best team in that league, and so I, I don't judge, I don't judge where, like how good the team is, 
like a Final Four team is not automatically one of the top four teams in the country. VCU that year was not one of the top four teams. George Mason, Loyola Chicago, insert team here. Even look, Carol, North Carolina was not one of the top four teams in the country last year. And they made it to the national championship game. Like you have 35 games to figure this stuff out. I'm not going to judge you solely on three weeks in March. I understand that it's fun and it's fun to watch, but I'm saying that because I I just don't remember where that team in 2009 or 2010, whatever it was, I don't remember where that team was. I don't remember, I don't remember that team necessarily being considered a top five team. I just feel like they made a run and, and that's fine. But when we're talking about like where this, where I look at this team, I mean, again, I look at this program, like my history with this program goes back probably, you know, 35 years as a casual observer, just because my dad's side of the family is from Knoxville and half of that, half of that family or um, most of that family is Tennessee fans. So I remember Allen UC's. Um, I saw the Kevin O'Neill era up, you know, up close, you know, because he recruited two of my teammates. Uh, well, he recruited one, Tennessee, and we actually, the team, our team went up there and watched the practice and all this, that, and the other. Um, I was around the Jerry Green program, you know, because two of my teammates were at Tennessee. You know, the Pearl era looked fun. And it was weird just because it goes against everything that I ever knew Tennessee basketball to be. Um, and look, I, I understand people are going to get mad when I say this, but it's just there's, there is a correlation between Tennessee basketball and Kentucky. It just is. Like at the end of the day, like Tennessee, ten, I mean, Tennessee is one nine or 10 win season away from just looking at this and just being like, Oh, wow. We're back. Just one. Like, it, 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 there's, it's not even, and I'm not even saying like this. All it's going to take is one victory on, I guess it's still the third Saturday in October. Yeah. Um, it's going to take one win there. One win over Georgia. It's, and everybody's going to be bought back. Everybody is. And that's no, not look. There's enough bandwidth for people to love both sports. At the end of the day, people look at your school as one of the top 10 to 15, you know, college football programs in the country, even with the past 15 years. They still say, look, they treat Tennessee football like Miami, where it's like, man, if they get the right coach, I'm telling you what, better watch out. I'm telling you that because people will come to that school. Whereas, you know, Tennessee basketball is still, you'll get some guys, obviously. They, they, I mean, they're getting guys now mm-hmm. and they'll continue to get guys. But, um, the expectations outside of Knoxville nationally aren't going to be, like, look, if Rick Barnes has a bad year, people aren't going to be like, oh, is it time to make a change? Right. You know, like, you know, we're, we're like, Calipari and what Coach K was at the end, uh, where Roy Williams was at the end. Like, I think that Tennessee is a, has always been a good program, 
they've had too many highs and lows to be considered historically a great one. I mean, even if you take out history and you just want to put the last 25 years in there, way too many ebbs and flows for you to be like, oh, man, this is it. Yeah, yeah, this is what we are. And unfortunately, that's what you're going to be judged by. Your recent history suggests that you're not quite there and that you're one bad coaching hire away from going back to being essentially Ole Miss or, you know, somebody like that where Mm – you're just a, you're seeing the long line of just programs that just ebb and flow. And the SEC will always be considered like Kentucky, Arkansas, uh, I don't know. I mean, we, you and I talked to the SEC podcast. Who is the, you know, who's the second best program in SEC, in SEC history? And there's no clear consensus. No. I, mean, I guess it's probably Arkansas because they got a chip. Florida had that nice little run, but it was a run. You know, heck, Mike White ran out that the back door <laughs> last year. <laughs> and, you know, so it, it's like you may have a bad year every so often. I mean, Arkansas is not good. But I would say that probably the second best program in the SEC is Arkansas. With, I, you can make an argument for Kentucky being third. I'm sorry for Tennessee being third, but you can make the same argument for five of the programs. And, and so, you know, like Barnes just has to keep on doing what he's doing. Uh, and maybe make again, it comes down to making a run. Because I don't judge you on that stuff, but I understand the fan base is gonna be like, look, you're doing too many things recruiting wise for us to be like, you know, to go out in the second round. Yep. So if he gets one of these runs before he's done. And I think he deserves it. I always say good people deserve things like that. That guy deserves to be the person to kind of flip this thing around and get this, you know, get this program to an elite eight. Willie, I can't answer that. I'm just saying, like, you know, keep doing things the right way. Eventually, you'll get the result. I think he'll be that guy ultimately to maybe raise the expectations uh, going forward for the next person. You made a couple of really good points there that I want to get back to, but also want to go back to you're talking about that um, 0-9-10 team that made the Elite Eight run. It was an interesting team. They started out preseason number 10 in the country, um, kind of fluctuated a little bit, stayed, stayed around 10, 9, 11, um, up until late December when they got um, absolutely just beat down by Southern, by USC, 77-55 uh, and then dropped into kind of the teens area. Rose back up to number eight in the country before falling pretty far and dropping down to 20th is the lowest they got um, when it came out in mid-February because they had dropped several different games in a row almost. Uh, yeah, they lost to Vanderbilt twice that season. Um, then they got beat by Kentucky, and that's what dropped them down to uh, 20th. But then they finished the regular season AP poll uh, 15th, got to the uh, SEC tournament, and then played Kentucky, I think, in the finals of that one. Um, and the guy just ran out of the gym 74 45 in that game. But that was a team that was, I mean, they fluctuated, but they did not drop out of the pole all season. But you, I think you're right. I don't think they're ever considered a national championship contender, but they were a preseason top 10 team and kind of stayed around that 15 ish mark for most of the year, kind of, you know, in the, in the lower teens, kind of in the teens area between 20 and 10, they, they stayed in that entire range the entire year. So they were one of the rare Tennessee teams that actually started. Uh, you went wire to wire in the AP poll, which 
didn't happen very often before Bruce Pearl, and then, but it has now happened, I think, a couple times under uh, Rick Barnes. So I just want to throw that there because you'd asked that, and I thought that was an interesting kind of note. I didn't, I, I'd forgotten that team started out as a um, preseason top 10 team and then had some pretty good wins, but also had some – that was a team that, aside from that, that Kansas win against, you know, number one Kansas, obviously one of the, the bigger wins in Tennessee men's basketball history that after you had that – all the arrests and stuff that happened uh, that same week. And then Tennessee goes out and upsets Kansas. Uh, you lost to a then number six Purdue team in a neutral site, uh, 73-72. You, you got shellacked by USC. Um, you didn't, you want to beat number 21 Ole Miss, which I forgot they were ranked at that time. And over time, 71-69 uh, and at home. But then you lose to Vanderbilt, who was number 21 at the time. Lose to Vanderbilt again, because uh, a couple weeks later, who was number twenty-two, and then th- you know followed it up with that same week by losing to number three Kentucky. Then you go, you come back and beat number two Kentucky at home uh, in February twenty-seventh. But then, like I said, that a lot of the big games that year, Tennessee lost. They had that number one team, but they beat Kansas, which that was obviously I think the def- the defining win of that season, besides beating Ohio State in the NCAA tournament. But a lot of the times that team didn't play super well in, in big games or against against you know the higher tier opponents. So that was just a, an interesting team. I think you're right. I don't, they never were considered a title contender, but they never they weren't like you said. I, I think you said it right. They were a good, solid team that year that made a run. Um, they had the makeup to make a run. So I think that was just interesting. I, I kind of hadn't really looked at that season as a whole in a while. I'd more kind of focused on that Kansas game and the. Elite Eight run. I haven't really looked at it as a whole in a while, but um, you said several things there that made me think and points I was already going to bring up, but I, I think fit into this conversation even better now. Going and looking at the last 25 years of Tennessee basketball, and the thing that stands out to me most about the last 25, 30 years of Ben's basketball at, at Tennessee is inconsistency. And you and I have talked about this on the show before, Gene, um, about the fact that even disp- it's really, I think, a testament to the potential of the Tennessee basketball program that you've had so many different coaches and just, you know, just from 2000 onward. And Tennessee has still made several Sweet 16 runs. Jerry Green got him there. Bruce Pearl got him there a couple of times. Conza uh, Martin got them there. Rick Barnes has gotten them there. Like that's four different coaches who've gotten Tennessee to the Sweet 16 in just the last 22 years. Like that's kind of remarkable that you think about it. Again, that's not like a super, super deep runs, but just the fact that Tennessee's had as many head coaches as they've had in the last 22 years or so, that you've had Rick Barnes, Donnie Tindall, Konza Martin, Bruce Pearl, Buzz Peterson, Jerry Green, Kevin O'Neill, and Wade Houston all since 1990. That's eight different head coaches in the past 32 years. That's barely an average of it's exactly an average of four years per head coach. That's not how you build success at a, especially at a, at a high tier program you look at the blue buds gene. I think you can back me up on this too. And anyone listening, you know, you can look at them. I haven't, don't have the numbers pulled in front of me, but the vast majority of the teams you consider blue bloods are kind of the top programs in college basketball. At some point or another, they had coaches who were there for a long time, or, or multiple coaches. Tennessee had that kind of early, in, again, in the 60s and 70s with Mears and DeVoe, who were there for a combined almost uh, 20 years, or almost 30 years combined. Uh, Mears was there 15 years, who's the longest tenured head coach at Tennessee, and then uh, DeVoe was there for 11. So a combined 26 years of head coaches that were, you know, 
you had, I think you had one in between there with, I think Cliff Weddig maybe was the guy. Yeah. Cliff Weddig had a season in between, um, after Mears' health issues and stuff. And essentially you had two head coaches for 26 seasons. Uh, and then now in the past, uh, 32, Tennessee has had eight. So that's kind of like, I mean, football, the same thing. You had two head coaches for the longest time with Johnny Majors and Philip Fulmer. And then now you've had Lane Kiffin, Derek Dooley, Jeremy Pruitt, or I guess Butch Jones, I've skipped over him, Butch Jones, Jeremy Pruitt, and now Josh Heupel all in the last, what, 15 years. So it, you you need to have consistency. All the Blue Bloods have had guys who are there longer. Look at uh, <clears throat> Kansas, the Bill Self. Look at obviously Kentucky now with John Calipari, but also they had Rupp for the longest time uh, there with them too. You look at uh, North Carolina with Dean Smith, with Roy Williams. They've had a couple guys there. Duke with Coach K. Uh, Louisville had, uh, what's his face? I almost said Bobby Petrino. Uh, golly. They're, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they had, but they had, well, they had a couple guys who've been there for a long time and had success there. So, I mean, and I don't know that people consider Louisville a blue blood, but they're still a very good program. They're, they're better than Tennessee overall in the basketball side. And of course, clearly UCLA, it, you know, John Wooden. So, I mean, you look at the, the programs that are considered some of the best, and even now some of the, the teams that are consistently very good and consistently make – you know, deeper NCAA tournament runs, Gonzaga and Villanova, their head coaches have been there for a long time. Jay Wright was there for a very long time. Mark Few, very long time. Like that's consistency. That's what building consistency does. Tennessee has never had a consistency in the men's basketball program in the last 30, almost 40 years at this point. It feels like Rick Barnes, Gene, I was looking at it beforehand. I was writing stuff down before I realized that it was actually just right in front of me on sports reference was easier to find than me going through Tennessee's media guide and writing it down. But I mentioned it. Ray Mears, Tennessee's longest tenured head coach, 15 years. Emmett Lowry, uh, back in the 40s and 50s, second longest, 12 years. Don DeVoe in the 70s and 80s, uh, 11 years. W.H. Britton in the 20s and 30s was there for nine seasons. John Maurer, eight seasons. And Albert Barnes is entering his eighth season. So he's tied as the fifth longest tenured head coach. In Tennessee men's basketball history, and he's only been there eight years. Or this will be his eighth year, I guess. And he ranks fourth in victories. He's got 150. Uh, you've got Mears, who is going to be very hard to catch. Uh, to 278. Don DeVote, 204. And then Emmett Lauer, who I mentioned, at 169. And then now Barnes, 150. That's been, I think, the the biggest detriment for Tennessee has been the inconsistency. And the fact that I think this is... I, I almost want to call this Rick Barnes era the like the establishment area the the establishing era because you mentioned too gene if arkansas had been able to build off what they did in the 90s and maintain their success they would be the clear-cut number two to me or florida for example if florida was able to build after what billy donovan did and if mike white or they hired someone else besides mike white and they were able to continue the success that billy donovan had they would be the clear-cut number two if Arkansas could build off what they did in the 90s and into the 2000s better than what they did, they'd be the clear-cut number two. The SEC's had a, a consistency problem with every single program that isn't Kentucky. Kentucky's had the most success because they've been the most consistent basketball program on a good on, you know, on the good side because there's been plenty of teams who've been consistently bad uh, <laughs> over the last decades or so. But on, on, the, on the good end of things, Kentucky's had the most success in large part because they've been the most consistent and have made the best hires and put the most, you know, most money, most resources and stuff into their programs, uh, their program as well. But this is the, this has the, the chance to be the, the establishing era for Tennessee where 
Barnes and his his crew and everything have laid the foundation for Tennessee basketball after it had been laid by Bruce Pearl and then promptly jackhammered and then uh, needed repairing after he left and then after Conzo left after three years and then the hiring of Donnie Tyndall. Uh, the foundation was there under Pearl. It was kind of shaky as it was because of kind of how Pearl was operating. And then he lied to the NCAA and then everything fell apart pretty quickly. Mears and DeVoe did a great job. And then you can see how quickly it can just evaporate for you in any sport. But I think especially in basketball, how quickly you can just go from being a program that is well-respected is making consistent runs. to All of a sudden you're falling off a cliff and you're done. Um, there's a, there's a couple of teams. There's a team that came to my mind when I said that earlier, a team I remember, well, Texas, for example, under Brick Barnes. I mean, they were a team that was consistently making the tournament and making pretty deep runs. And then it got to where he could not get out of the second round. And then they, after Barnes left, they've had almost no success in the tournament, but also no, a lot of, you know, missed opportunities, regular season and in the big 12 in general too. Cause I know you said you don't want to just judge, you know, the program off what you do in March. That's just kind of the easiest barometer to throw out there. But I, I think for me and how I'm looking at the Rick Barnes era is that it's a chance to establish something Tennessee hasn't had in a very long time, and that's consistency. After Barnes leaves, that next hire is extremely important because it's it, to me it's got to be another person who's going to be here another 10, 15 years. You, you can't go back after Barnes is gone. He'll probably have been at Tennessee for a decade by the time he leaves, or over a decade by the time he leaves. It ended up being you know, possibly the second most tenured head coach in Tennessee men's basketball history or experience, wherever, wherever the word looking for is. Um, you can't, to me, I, I think it's, I don't think you can go and hire someone who's just going to be here for three or four years and then be gone. Even if they have a lot of success, I, I think it's harder to keep having that revolving door and keep having success. Cause I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, for Duke and North Carolina, how, you know, how long do their new hires stay and you know, what do they do? Cause they're there. It, it's different for them. Cause they're, they basically hired within, they hired guys who are, who is a North Carolina guy, who is a Duke guy. They, they hired guys that are, I don't imagine will leave for another program. Cause that is their dream job. You know, that, that is where they played and where they, you know, they bleed Tar Heel blue or bleed devil blue. So and maybe Tennessee goes and hire. That's another problem, though. Tennessee doesn't have a former player who's coaching at a high level or anything like that right now either. So that's that's kind of a future you know conversation. But I think to me right now, I think this is a this is the time Tennessee needs to have the foundation set for the future. And I think my expectations for like you said right now, Tennessee. I think historically. I guess maybe looking at the past 25, 30 years, Gene, I think you're right. I don't know that we should go back too far, um, but people don't, a lot of people, unfortunately, don't care a ton about what happened before the 90s, for example, uh, in men's basketball. But you look at the last 25 years or so, and the, you know, basically since the 2000s or late 90s on, Tennessee's probably, they're the top 20, a top 45 program for sure, maybe argue top 30 program because you've had elite eight you've had several sweet 16s you've had guys getting drafted in, into the nba guys who were all americans in in college um you've you've had some success you've had um you know not not a national championships you've had a few regular season titles you've had now a tournament title finally for the first time since the in 42 43 years um i i, I don't I, I don't know that you can say they're a top 25 team over the last 25 years though, but I think you could say top 35 and, and maybe top 30, but they're definitely to me, not 
I don't think a top 25 team because you were mentioning, you know, how would Tennessee compared to Michigan or Michigan State. The other team I thought of when you said that was how would Tennessee compare to a Purdue? Because that's a team that Tennessee, for one, has been matched up with a lot in men's basketball. But for two, I think it's an interesting comparison. Just just looking at postseason stuff for them, you know, they've made the NCAA tournament uh, a, a lot now, especially under, uh, what's his face, the current head coach over there for them, um, Matt, Matt Painter, who's now in his 17th season. You know, talk about consistency, 17th season uh, with Purdue. But they've not made, you know, their last final four is in 1980. And again, that was before ex- the full expansion to 64 teams in, in 85. So, yes, they've made a couple final fours, but they were in, in 1969 and 1980. So they've been over 40-something years ago. They have made a couple of lead eights. They made it, of course, 2019 when they beat Tennessee. Uh, 2000, 94, and of course, 80 and 69 as well. In fact, they were the, the NCAA tournament runner-up in 1969. They've made several Sweet 16s in 22 and 19, 18, 17, 2010, 2009, and 2000. But again, in that same time frame, Tennessee's made as bad as many Sweet 16s as Purdue has in that same time frame. Purdue's just been able to make one more Elite Eight in that same time frame. Again, they made it in 2000 and made it in 2019. Tennessee made it once in that same 2000, 2000 to 2022 time frame. I think Purdue is a fair, pretty fair comparison to Tennessee and men's basketball over the last 25 years, Gina, unless I'm forgetting something for a, a, you know, something they've done that I'm forgetting about, but they haven't won a ton of conference tournaments. They haven't won really or conference tournament championships. They've won. Let's see. Uh, they won a regular season title in 1917 and, and 2010. And the last one before that was 1996. And they won the conference tournament in 2009. So they have as many conference tournament titles in the last 25 years as Tennessee and probably a, about the same amount of regular season titles. Tennessee's won at least two in the last 25 years, and I think they've won a, th- a third, maybe even a fourth in that same time period. I have the wiki pulled up. Let me let me look. Tennessee won a, at least a share of the regular season title in 2018, 2008, and 2000. So yeah, they have the exact same number of regular season conference t- titles, uh, conference tournament titles, and Tennessee has made the Sweet 16 in 2000, 2007, 2008, 2010, 14, and 19 just six times and Purdue has made it in 2000 2009 2010 17 18 19 22 so one more time than Tennessee again everything notwithstanding you know the tournaments and stuff like that are, are not the ultimate barometer but it is an easy way to kind of look at it I think Tennessee and Purdue are pretty comparable and I don't know if I would say Purdue's been a top 25 men's basketball program over the last 25 years because so you know taking the orange sunglasses off and you know, people will say, well, yeah, of course Tennessee is because you're a Tennessee fan. Would you say Purdue is a top 25 program in the last 25 years, Gene? Because I don't, maybe. Like, again, I would say Tennessee is, is, a, is a top 35, maybe top 30. And that's about where I would put Purdue. I mean, they, they've not they've not made enough waves for me to say that they are for sure a top 25 team, you know, in the last two three decades or so. Well stuff because the half of the ACC has won a national championship in the last year. True. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it's high, but Duke, Carolina, uh, Virginia, Syracuse, Louisville, all right, so just five of them, but still. Still. Uh, <laughs> yeah, five different teams have won at least one national championship in that time. I think Carolina maybe won two. Um I mean, just, you know, two SEC teams have won 
in that time span. It's like you're in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think of teams. Big 12, Kansas, uh, Baylor. Uh, that's Who beat Texas Tech? Was that Virginia? Yeah, that was Virginia. Okay. Um, you know, Villanova's got two chips. So, like, if you just look from – and, you know, like this kind of – I'm not trying to be, like, hypocritical in my earlier argument. Um, I just don't think that – I don't think that your tournament success should be the end-all, be-all. Yeah, uh, right. I just don't because it's one game. And it's not the true determinant of who the best team is. It's just a measurement that makes a lot of people a lot of money. And that's basically what it boils down to. It's a measurement. And it's just the best measurement for college basketball. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, Purdue's been a good program. I mean, Tennessee's been a good program. Uh, Purdue's probably has some lean years. Tennessee's has some lean years. Um, you know, Tennessee, it's right now under the longest senior coach they've had in quite some time. And uh, I'm not sure what that necessarily turns into. Uh, it's turned into a certain level of success. I think he averages like 22 wins a season, somewhere along those lines, or, you know, which you would almost think that he would average more. But uh, I thought I'd just put it up a second ago. I think he's, Rick Barnes is averaging like 23 wins a year in Tennessee. And, uh, yeah, 100, 150 wins in seven. So 22. Mm-hmm. Um, so 22, so 22 wins a season, COVID season, they won 18. I mean, like he, he's, he's made this program relevant in a way that it hadn't been in quite some time. And, you know, like I said, when we have this, when we have this discussion, I don't know what the end game is for what all this is going to, because there's nothing tangible to really base this on, which has always just been on. That was a, that one team was a moment in time. Yep. That was a moment in time and it was a fun moment. And, uh, a lot of people enjoyed it. A lot of people had fun with it. You know, number one in the country. Sing, you know, emotional singer day, uh, emotional end of the season that year when they got beat by Purdue, like emotions. And since then, it's just kind of been excitement, but not emotion. And when you look around the country and you have these teams, like, look, some of them are just, you know, hired guns, like that Baylor team, uh, that blew up Gonzaga a couple years ago. That was kind of just like a hired gun sort of thing. Like I get it. There were probably some, you know, people around Baylor that were really happy, really excited about everything that transpired. Um, but it didn't feel like it was one of those just like organic teams. Um, I don't remember who won the, who won the championship. Oh, Kansas. That felt organic. <laughs> um, and so, like I said, and I always go back to this sort of discussion because I think it's relevant to everything that we've talked about. Everything that we've always talked about with this. Like we can talk about all the stars and recruiting rankings. 
But the reason why Tennessee is relevant is because of those guys like Admiral Grant, and, and well, really Admiral and Grant. Everything yeah. else is filtered around them. Wilkerson, Kyle Alexander, Jordan Bone, um, Amante Turner, all all that stuff. Jordan Bowden, like all that feel good filtered around those two guys. Those are the two guys who are always front and center. Those are the two guys who were getting when they were number one in the country, getting the CBS hits, the SBN hits. They were the two. They were the two who always seemed to have to answer when something wasn't going well. And, and so, like everything filters around that, and it's not that now. And I don't know. And look, that doesn't mean that it's that it can't be successful because look at them, mm-hmm. look at them last year. I mean, look, they were to the point where there was a discussion of should they be a two seed in the tournament? Um, and they ended up being a three. And that was a team that a lot of people suggested could win a championship. A lot of people suggested that. They could compete for a championship. And maybe there was some truth to that. It didn't work out, but they were a really good team. Now, what are they going to be this year? Can they build on it? Until they're consistently winning 25 games under different groups of people, they're not where you want them to be. Because, like, it's all, it's, it's all fun to do, you know, to have this sort of run, uh, under those, you know, under that initial group of guys, Grant Admiral, so on and so forth. But you have to remain that that's the true determinant of a great program. Zaga's always going to be in the mix. You know, you may, you know, I mean, Carol, I mean, Carolina will have a bad year, but they always seem to be in the mix. Duke, same thing. Kentucky, you know, take up that one year. But Kentucky was one of the top, probably five, ten teams in the country. And they could shoot it, which I thought would be an issue. And sure enough, somebody exploited that. They didn't get up the first round of the tournament last year. Like, but you're going to be, you're going to be judged accordingly when you're consistently winning 25 games or so and doing it under, that's it, under different groups of guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you, you just did it last year with, you know, right now your core is, you've got that core again. You've got, um, you know, you know, you've got Vescovy and you've got Josiah. That's the core. Apologies to your ocean guys like that. Your core is Vescovy. Is they were there that first year, year afterwards, year after the run. And so, like, if they just simply keep this thing going, they just simply can set this thing up for the next group of guys, the BJ Edwards of the world. That'll be the true determinant of how good this program is going to be. Because if it can, if it falls apart just because one or two people leave, the program's not what you want it to be. If it falls apart the first time that somebody graduates or somebody transfers or somebody goes to the drought, like you've kind of been able to hold on to a little bit of Grand Admiral because Fulkerson had that one, that run in February of 2020 to where people believed, people believed, they got excited, they beat Kentucky, you know, Eves, guys like that. But you've, but now that's officially over. Now you've got Vescovy and Josiah 
who's going to carry that torch on to the next three guys. And if you don't have that, and at the end of the day, you don't have a program. You've got teams. And, then, and I, I personally think there's just a huge difference there between programs and teams. Kentucky has teams. I understand Calipari is the program. But Kentucky has teams. Like, who would you rather be right now in terms of families? Tennessee or Kentucky? Because at least Tennessee has some people that you can kind of latch on to. Kentucky doesn't have that. I said I have just as many Kentucky ties as I do Tennessee ties. I talk to those people. I know man, they're frustrated. You know, like fans, you know, true fans are just always just like, what are we getting excited for? The next crop of people is gonna leave in eight months. And there's just a and there's just something to be said for that. Like, you know, I understand like Kentucky serves a purpose. It may not be about winning championships. So right now, Kyle Parr's got his own issues. Gus Keen and Stoops apparently going back and forth. <laughs> um, although I think it's just, I think that's like, um, like in, in Knoxville, there's still a chance there, you know, a moment in time because the SEC in football is not getting any weaker anytime soon. So. It's Tennessee at this point, this may be an eight win team that sneaks up and wins nine or ten one year. But I feel like they're going to end up being just like an eight win team. But if they can maybe sneak into that three spot in the SEC with as talented as the SEC is right now, like three spot all time, not just like for a week or so, not just for a year. If they can just sneak into that three spot of like third best program in the league. That's huge, man. That's huge because that just means that the two teams that are ahead of you are Kentucky and Arkansas. And guess what? Those those expectations will follow you every single year. Or just just because of Tennessee and as a top ten, just toss them somewhere. I don't know where, but we'll put them at nine. Who cares? Put them at nine and be done with it. Put them at six. Who cares? Put them at ten. All right. Well, they lost eight seniors, or they lost six guys to the draft. Six first round picks or whatever, we'll still slot them in at eleven, just because they've earned that respect nationally. They're not there yet. Like the, the can they? Who knows? But they're not. They're still not there yet. There's still not enough people who see tennis and just like this moves the needle. Two teams move the needle in the SEC and the Kentucky. Tennessee's not quite there yet. Because when Arkansas is good, I mean, we saw the SEC standings last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kentucky, Arkansas, what, Tennessee and Auburn? Like, and to check, I mean, we could check, the, you know, numbers and all this, that, and the other. Like, Kentucky's always going to move the needle more than the It's what it is. Everybody in the SEC will rejoice with Kentucky loses. They just will. Um, I think Tennessee actually may be second in that regard just because when they're good, Tennessee fans are a lot to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> but I can say the same thing about Arkansas because I'm pretty sure I saw them on social media a lot last year when they yeah. were good and they were peacocking a lot. Um, but yeah, like Ken. 
Can Tennessee just become a program where you constantly recruit people to your program and it doesn't matter who the faces are? You pencil them in for 25 wins, which is, look, tough in this league. I understand that's a hard decision but I can make an argument that the ACC is just as hard, if not harder. And last season, uh, six teams won at least 20 games. Wow. Seven, eight. Like, it's, you know, like the, it's, it's a tough ass to say, hey, every season win 25. Yeah. Just be expected to win 25. And if they can do that, I mean, they've won – then this program 1,000% has mindset. No, no, what you said about getting, you know, guys, different different guys in every every year or every two or three years, basically, and having, um, you know, still getting into that 22, 25 win mark. Like, that's that's the goal. Like, that's what you want as a program. Like, that's not, you know, that's not, I don't know. That, I think that's that's what Tennessee's trying to do, and that's what Tennessee has struggled to do. Um year in and you're out. You're talking about, you know, getting 25 wins in a season. Uh, Tennessee, the program has only done that five times or no, six times, Gene, they've only won 25 or more games. I mean, you can say 24, that's pretty close, but if you want to say 24 wins, Tennessee as a program has only done that eight times in school history. Uh, and three of those times have been under Rick Barnes. In fact, three of the times Tennessee has won 26 or more games has been under Rick Barnes and Bruce Pearl has the other two. So, Tennessee won 31 under Barnes, 31 under Pearl, uh, 28 under Pearl for the team that made the um, Elite Eight, and then 27 under Barnes last year, and then 26 under Barnes, of course, the year they won the regular season SEC title, and then uh, 26 under Jerry Green. That's kind of funny. I I think kind of where one in this part of the the podcast, this conversation, before we move on to the last bit as we close the episode, too, is, is... we're talking about historical perspective, and you mentioned you know Tennessee football, and uh, if they even just get nine wins, and you said beat a Georgia, a, a Florida, an Alabama, it, it's the conversation of like with Texas, like is Texas back? Is Tennessee back? Because they have that history of being a program that deserves that respect historically. Uh, in football, if you take out the um, Ivy League schools and stuff like that, because you know now they're they're not really Division One, they haven't been for a long time. If you take the Ivy League schools out of it, Tennessee is tied right now with USC for the 10th most wins in college football. Still, even with with the last 15 years of, of, I guess, just mediocrity, basically, for Tennessee in football, they're still top 10 in most wins. You have Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Texas, Penn State, Nebraska. I guess technically tied for, what, 8th or ninth actually? Maybe I did the math wrong. Um but Tennessee, and regardless, Tennessee and USC both have 856 wins and both uh, in, inside the top 10 for wins all time in football. So Tennessee, all time win, you know, that's not including, you know, it's not just like you said, not just looking at what you do in the postseason, you know, how many national titles, how many bowl games, all different stuff, just purely just based off of wins. Tennessee as a football program is still top 10 all time. On the men's basketball side of things, Gene, got to scroll all the way down here. Tennessee on men's basketball ranks 38th in all-time wins. So again, top 40 program, not not bad, but you're actually behind even a, a, a program like Alabama when it comes to uh, wins in men's basketball. You're right behind you and Tennessee and Iowa 
are neck and neck. Tennessee has 1,717 total wins in school history. Iowa has 1,719. And Tennessee's actually played eight less seasons than Iowa, so they have a better winning percentage than Iowa does. But Tennessee's right behind a, a school like Bradley and Missouri State. Um, which, it, it, you know, it's a little different with men's basketball. They don't have it quite as delineated by, you know, power commerces, I guess, as football does. But I thought that was interesting to me that Tennessee top 40 program, they're, they're 38th in all time wins. But again, that's a, a much, much different. And my, you know, no, no one has said that Tennessee football and basketball are comparable. I just thought that was, I didn't realize Tennessee was still that low in, you know, wins all time in men's basketball all, all time I, I mentioned last 25 years or so tennessee and purdue i think are equal all time they're not even close purdue is a, a top 15 team when it comes to wins total they're number 12 in men's basketball and wins it's a lot of that because you look at what gene Keedy did uh katie whatever how you say his last name uh, was there for a long time with purdue and had a lot of success and of course purdue seemed like they were much better in the 60s 70s and 80s um back in the day too but yeah uh, i just want to leave off with that i thought that was interesting tennessee 10th in football or tight in the top 10 in football, still taking out the Ivy league schools for wins and Tennessee men's basketball is, is in the top 40 kind of borderline top 35. So just thought that was, that was interesting. Of course, lady falls. I don't know. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I bet they're, if they're not number one, they're in the top three, probably I would bet top five for sure. So, uh, just thought that was kind of interesting kind of historical note, but we got to move on here to the last topic because we've already talked about that topic for quite a bit. Um, but to the expectations pitch still are kind of, I guess, topic of this gene is looking at this upcoming season and kind of what our expectations are. We'll, we'll obviously dive more into that as we get closer to the season. Um, we get, and we are less than three months away now, but Tennessee did release their full non-conference schedule. We don't technically know all the teams yet because you have the battle for Atlantis and Tennessee knows one opponent for sure. They'll play another, a second game, but they also could have a third game in that tournament right now, Gene, Tennessee, the regular season starts November 7th. I think it's Tennessee tech at home. Next game is on the road. Or technically it's a neutral side game. Excuse me. In Nashville against Colorado. That's a, what a neutral side game. Uh, it's going to be a home game for Tennessee uh, and Nashville against Colorado on November 13th. You're at home against Florida Gulf coast, formerly known as dunk city on November 16th. And then you go to the Bahamas for the battle for Atlantis, where you'll take on Butler, and then you, you'll play either USC or BYU in the next game. And then you have the chance again, um, if you've won out and make it to the final, to play the th- third game in the Battle for Atlantis. And that would be all, all kind of late November, I think, or right around Thanksgiving. You come back to Knoxville on November 30th and play McNeese State. You host Alcorn State. You host Eastern Kentucky. You have neutral site game in the Hall of Fame game, Invitational in Brooklyn against Maryland. Go on the road at Arizona on December 17th host Austin P and then obviously enter into SEC play uh, shortly after that. And then in the middle of all that though, in the SEC big 12 challenge, you have Tennessee hosting Texas. The first thing that stood out to me about that gene was the home slate. Not very good. Uh, Tennessee tech, Florida Gulf coast, McNeese state, Alcorn state, Eastern Kentucky, Austin P and then Texas. That's like Texas is the only one. All of Tennessee's big games this year outside of, you know, outside of conference play, are going to be on the road or neutral site in Nashville against Colorado. So that's not too far. At least, you know, it's not in Thompson bowling, but there's a lot of Vol fans in Nashville and it's not too far of a trip for, you know, people in Knoxville who do want to go see them play 
uh, in Bridgestone against Colorado. But then you go over to the Bahamas for the battle for Atlantis. And then you go up to uh, Brooklyn, New York for a, a game against Maryland in December. And then you also go way out to Arizona and uh, Tucson, Arizona to play the Wildcats. Um, but the second thing that popped in my head was that this isn't the toughest non-conference schedule Tennessee has ever had, but it's still not an easy one. I mean, it's still not, it's, it's not as tough as you've seen it in a couple years, really most of the Rick Barnes era, I feel like. Um, but it's, it's, not easy. There, there are games there that, I, you know, in the Battle for Atlantis, I think Tennessee should beat Butler. But either USC or BYU is going to be a, a very interesting non-conference matchup for Tennessee. Or a neutral site, conference, a neutral site uh, matchup for Tennessee there. Uh, Colorado is going to be an interesting one because, again, it's a neutral site. But it's kind of a home game against uh, Colorado. Maryland in Brooklyn and the Hall of Fame Invitational. That that one's intriguing to me. And then of course Arizona. That was a, a extremely fun game last year in Knoxville. Um we'll be very intrigued to see what Arizona is like in mid December this year. Uh they will probably be pretty good again. And then Texas is considered a right now a top ten preseason team. We'll see kind of where they I think they are. Um still. I know the women's team is. I think the men's team is too. We'll see kind of where they end up, but they're they're considered still a, a pretty very you know, solid team and we'll won't get to see Tennessee play them until late June or late January, excuse me, in the SEC Big Twelve Challenge. But Gina, I look at that non conference slate and it's right now we know twelve of the games will there again, there may be a thirteenth one, depending on what happens in the battle for Atlantis. Um I feel pretty solid about that being a like a ten and two record for Tennessee. And you know, this is without really diving into any of these teams and knowing a whole lot about especially a lot of the, the smaller schools. But I, I know a little bit about Butler because I follow a guy who covers Butler. I don't even remember how I started following him, but I've been following him for several years now, and he, he covers Butler. So I know a little bit about them. They're considered okay. They're kind of a borderline top 100 kind of Ken Palm team. Tennessee should win that one. But USC and BYU, I think, are both top 75, top 60 teams. So that would be a, a test. And I don't remember who else is in the Battle of Fort Landis, but it's a pretty good uh, set of, of schools in there. Um, Arizona is going to be the toughest test, I think, besides Texas. Uh, th- those those two are the ones that I look at as potential losses because Arizona is on the road. They should be very good still. And then Texas is supposed to be, again, very solid team. Um, and Tennessee, had, you know, lost him this past year. We'll see what happens when it's in Knoxville. But that's not a – it's a it's – a, some good tests. It'll be good. Build up your whatever, your net, your RPI, whatever you want to call it now um, for Tennessee. But, Gene, I think that's that's – about as favorable of a non-conference schedule as Tennessee's had in a while. You know, maybe one of the smaller schools is going to be better than I'm expecting, but Tennessee shouldn't lose to a Dignity State or an Austin P or a Florida Gulf Coast. Um, that just shouldn't happen. So again, maybe one of those teams is better than I'm expecting. And I'm not giving them enough credit, but that's a that's a schedule where I see Tennessee maybe losing two of those those games, and I think Tennessee should be able to enter SEC play having played some good teams, but also you know, with a pretty decent record and maybe, a you know, a, a top 15, maybe top 10 team heading into SEC play. According you know, again, assuming health is everyone's healthy and everything like that. But I, I think expectations for this year is Tennessee being a top 15, possibly, possibly a top 10 team. I don't know that's going to happen. I wouldn't put them in top 10, but I think Tennessee is going to be a preseason top 15 team uh, by most places. And I think they'll be right around there again, as long as they stay healthy and things go where they're expecting, they should be right around that same mark, if not a little higher than that. Um, by the time they get into SEC play, we're looking at who they're playing here in the non-conference.
All right, so um, Tennessee Tech to struggle to keep players. Um, they, I know, I, I think one of their better, if not, yeah, they're they're two starting guards. One of them is a kid from Chattanooga. I think he's at Tennessee hmm. State now. Um, he he grad transferred to Tennessee State, and he was like a fifteen hundred point five hundred assists five hundred assists um, guy or something like that. Uh, another guard, I think, with the Belmont, maybe. Uh, so they lost both of their starting guards from last year. Um, Florida Gulf Coast, brand new head coach. Uh, McNeese State, second year head coach from a team that went 11 and 22 last year. Alcorn State, I never have high expectations unless Stephen Mayer is playing. Um, which obviously can't happen um, now. Um, Eastern Kentucky has struggled to be competitive. I think they're on like year three or four of a new coach. Um, so none of those, none of those are games that should be relatively close. Like one thing I remember last year was that, uh, prior to the Arizona game, the Tennessee schedule, if I recall, kind of ramped up, um, as the season, as the non-conference went on. That in that early going, a lot of people were getting really excited about the program because they were just thinking, you know, because they're seeing all these shots made and stuff. And then I just kept saying, like, standard is not this random mid-level team. Standard is not. And, you know, there were some struggles. I think they scored, like, what, 40 points against Texas Tech or something like that. Um Barely. <laughs> had, yeah, they, they had struggles when they got into it. And obviously they, they figured a lot of that stuff out, even with injuries and stuff. They figured a lot of that stuff out over the course of the season where they were like a really competitive team at the end. But, um, it's an interesting non-conference I'll say that much because I don't know what to expect. I, I don't have a clue how to really look at it because you know, like none of the home games should be considered challenges. The true home games. Like Austin P, I think, just lost one of their assistant coaches to DT. Um, and so, like, I'm looking at that and I'm just like, yeah, it's not the most appetizing non conference schedule in terms of home games, but. Usually the SEC has a way of making uh, I don't know how good the SEC is going to be this year, but um, the SEC has a way of making up for what could be considered a lack of quality home opponents. Uh, not many teams always get like the high profile like home games. In Kentucky playing in Zada in like a small venue somewhere. Uh, I want to say, yeah, they are playing it. I forget where, but yeah, I think you're right. I know they're, I know they're playing the Jets. I feel like it's, it, maybe it's like, I could be way off here, but I feel like, yeah, like not everybody's going to get like that, uh, that overly appetizing game that everybody wants to see. It's like, oh man, this is the one. This is the one. It's, it's not always going to happen. And this year, is uh okay they're playing Atkins on it. So that's okay. Um but 
you know, like exactly, I don't necessarily recall them having a huge history of just popcorn saw non conference home games. I just don't. Um, high profile games in the non conference, yeah. But they always seem to be neutral site, like Duke, Carolina, Michigan State, teams like that. Like, they always, you know, seem to be neutral site games. And so it's okay that, you know, Tennessee's schedule, uh, their home schedules is, is, you know, let's call it what it is. It's a cupcake. Um, but the rest of their schedule will make up for that. I, I, I can't speak to, I'd have to see a little bit more and I understand it's a fun thought experience for a lot of people, but I just, I can't wrap my mind around like wins and losses and records. Um, they should win all their home games. <laughs> that much we can all, we can all say. We can all agree that they shall cause a few blowouts and, you know, Gene Henley and Nathaniel Rutherford should average five points a game in those games because everybody should play in those games. Maybe there'll be a game that challenges them a little bit. Like UT Barton last year challenged them a little bit early. Now, obviously they, they blew it away, but there's going to be a game, one of those teams, you know, that well, pushes you some, but at the end of the day, like they're not anything that you get concerned about. But they, what they will do, what they should do, especially with trying to mesh some, uh, some bodies together for, you know, trying to mesh these rotations, figure out what works best. It gives you plenty of opportunities to work on this. Like you got plenty of chances to figure out what rotations you're mm-hmm. going to go with. Because before you, uh, before you play Butler, you've got two kind of layup games and a game against Colorado that, mm, it's not a layup, but it's not the level of the other teams that you're playing. Um, you get back from the Bahamas, you got McNeese, Alcorn, and Eastern Kentucky before you then turn around and play Maryland and Arizona. Three more chances to figure out that rotation. So it actually stacks itself out pretty nicely. Um, like I said, it's just not appealing and appetizing. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, it's, you had to me, it's, it's kind of an ideal, not for fans. It kind of sucks for fans. Like you said, there's just not really any, not anything on the home slate that really attracts you. But it's, it's been true for a lot of not, I mean, non-conference men's basketball or non-conference basketball. Well, I'll take about late. I've also had some really good home games the last few years but most time for Tennessee like non-conference men's basketball you don't really have a ton of like home and home series I think you may have just said that too you just it's it's a it's built a lot more on the neutral site stuff even more so than football has kind of done over the last few years where at least football you still have you look at Tennessee and Pitt for example that's home and home Oklahoma and Tennessee was home and home a few years ago um, you still have those neutral site games like Tennessee and West Virginia that was in Charlotte, Tennessee and Georgia Tech that played in, well, it was neutral site, but it was in Georgia, um, closer to Tech than Tennessee, I think. But in men's basketball, like most of the big time non-conference stuff is neutral site. You mentioned, you said Duke and North Carolina, like especially those those two teams, Duke for the longest time, especially under Coach K, refused to play um, any big time team outside of, you know, uh, you know, it was less as neutral side. They wouldn't play anyone on the road. I don't know if that'll change now that Coach K is in there. But a lot of times, it's those early season conference, no, early season tournaments, or at an interesting venue like where you had the game that was played on the aircraft carrier. Like a lot of times, the you know the non conference schedule to me is rarely a big appeal for 
men's basketball. I mean, look at last year you had Arizona. Um, I think that was it though. I mean, I'm struggling. Mean, I'll go back and look at the schedule, but I don't know that there was another like big appealing home game for Tennessee last year that, that, you know, wasn't an SEC game besides the Arizona game. Uh, COVID was, COVID was a little different. That was just the schedule changing kind of sometimes as the week happened, schedule schedules would change, but unless, it, unless it's a Memphis, like even the times you've played Memphis, like it, that's kind of been the one game. Like you've had that and some pretty decent non, you know, mid-major teams, but you don't have the times Tennessee's played Purdue have all been, you know, um, neutral site. Tennessee played Kansas at home and when they beat them on the number one, but most of the time when Tennessee's played Kansas recently, it's been neutral site. Uh, when they played Gonzaga, it was neutral site. When they played, uh, I mentioned Purdue, it was neutral site. Villanova, I think, actually, they played North Carolina, but they, they've played, again, they've played North Carolina at home, but that's kind of like the one time. Like, you have one big marquee home game that's not a non-conference game, that's kind of it. And this year, it's Texas. You don't have one that's in, you know, early part of the year, which that's the thing that, to me, that sucks, is you don't have one that's in November or December. That That's the bummer. You don't have one that's going to get you excited in Thompson Bowling in November or December, you got to wait till January. And by then you're already, you know, in SEC play. So uh, it, it stinks for fans. But my point was that this maybe is kind of the ideal um, non-conference slate for a team because you got some easy wins on there. Like you said, to kind of figure out rotations and figure out, you know, okay, this guy, you know, how can we use him? Can he be counted on? You know, what, what's where his skills, what are, you know, does he do differently in games? He doesn't practice. You have a lot of those games, hopefully for Tennessee that you can do that with, then you have enough tough teams and enough really good teams and they're sprinkled in that you're going to be tested before you get into SEC play. So I, I think, you know, for fans, it's, it is not a very good slate of games for, for at least in Knoxville, um, for Tennessee fans, but for the actual figuring things out for the team, I think this is really good. You, you have, you're not super, super young where you, you know, need to figure out a bunch of stuff very quickly with a lot of young guys, but you are fairly new in a lot of areas you have a lot of new guys, but you also have, like you mentioned, Gene, a really good core. Uh, Vescovy of James, they're returning. Uh, Cam Waugh is healthy, and he's a guy who's been here. This is his his fourth year. Ziegler, his, his second year, but he's still, I mean, he's part of the core, I think, for especially, you know, returning from last year. Um, that's one of the, the four main guys from last season. You have a lot that you know, but you have a lot you still got to figure out. You know, how does Tyreek Key fit in? How does Julian Phillips fit in? You know, what can he do? What can he bring to the team? Um, and his, you know, as a freshman, as a, as a highly regarded player, you know, you need to figure out the post situation. You know, you have Cam always healthy, but how many minutes do you really want him to play? Can Urosh give you even just a little bit more than he did last year? Um, what do you have in some of the, the new guys there? What, what can a do? Can he take another step forward? So you have questions you need answered. So I think you're right. Like you have plenty of times and tests, you have plenty of, of games you can do that with, but you have just enough sprinkling of tests, I would say on the non-conference docket that um, should, you know, give you plenty of opportunity to find more out about yourself in November and December getting into SEC play. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be a record Tennessee fans will like beside the, the team name on the on the TV, on ESPN, or on SEC Network when Tennessee enters SEC play. It's a record that could be 10 wins, maybe 11 wins by that point um, when you get into January and into SEC play. But we'll see kind of what happens. I just thought it was, it was interesting that we have that now. We, we know, again, we should be getting the, the full schedule sometime soon. We now have the full dates and stuff like that for all of the non-conference games. We know who, to, who Tennessee's SEC opponents are and who they're playing on the road and at home and stuff. We just don't have the dates for those yet, but now that we have the dates for non-conference, I imagine we'll get the dates for the SEC games pretty soon, and at that point, we'll have the full schedule for 
the 22-23 season. So that's exciting. It, it always starts feeling a little more real to me when we get the actual full schedule and know, okay, these game, this is this is who Tennessee plays and when they play them um, on the schedule. And th- then that's kind of when the projections and like predictions start coming in of, okay, well, I thought they could beat this team, but now this team is sandwiched in between a road trip here. And this is the, you know, this, they play this team after playing three ranked opponents in a row. This is going to be a tougher game than I thought. So like it, it's to me, this is when the projection season starts coming is here fairly soon. Kind of, I know right now it's football. That's, that's the dominant thing in college athletics right now is, is football, 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 because we're in early mid August. So it should be, we're in fall camp mode for every team out there, but for us, basketball junkies, um, Getting close to time, I, I'm starting to really start getting more excited about basketball. Is kind of, I guess, late August, early September, because that's when we start again having more projections. It's getting closer to when the the you know the teams all on campus now because UT is starting soon. If classes haven't already started for UT, um, but they'll all be kind of together on campus and stuff and start practicing sometime here fairly soon. So, Gene, I'm, I'm getting into football fan mode, but I'm I'm. You know, I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm pretty excited about basketball and already looking forward to it. But this was a really good episode, um, in my opinion, my my humble opinion. Who was part of the team that recorded it? But Gene, uh, I want to say thank you, man. This was good. I'm, I'm enjoying having you back the last couple of weeks. Um, I I really just enjoy talking basketball with you. You're the person who I I think probably enjoy talking basketball with the most. So uh, before we get end here, I just want to say thanks, man. It's just it's been nice having you back. Appreciate it, and, and certainly glad to be back. Uh, Busy summer, um, a lot of different things going on. And um, so uh, obviously anybody that's watching this on YouTube and sees my son in the background. So we're working on decisions and opportunities. And so it was a lot of travel this summer. So uh, like I said, certainly glad to be back and kind of just lock, you know, trying to get locked in again. Well, thank you, Gene, and thank you to everyone who watched or listened uh, to this episode, however you did it, again, YouTube or the podcast. really appreciate everyone's support. Subscribe to the channel on YouTube if you haven't, or subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. Leave us a nice five-star review if you haven't also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'd definitely appreciate that. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.